listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund. My colleague Simone Malaz is not able to join us today. She's probably off in D.C. Um, doing some important work to advocate for Louisiana's coast. But I am so excited to be joined by someone who uh, I have personally learned so much from um, and who has helped us all better understand really what needs to happen to make our coasts more you know, protected and strong, uh, strengthened against, um, you know, sea level rise and flooding and just has worked across her career in so many ways um, to advocate for a number of policy and other initiatives um, to confront some of the environmental challenges that we face and, and who has been on the show many times before. So um, welcome back to Delta Dispatches, Shannon Kniff, Director of Coastal Resilience with the Environmental Defense Fund. Thank you, Jacques. It's a pleasure. How has your summer been, Shannon? How are I, you know, I'm uh, very jealous right now. We're kind of, it's fall in Louisiana, which basically means it's just a very extended summer, but I'm sure things are actually turning into fall where you are in Vermont. Yeah, just turned cold. Uh, we have a few red leaves on the driveway. Uh, so the peepers will be there before you know it, and the foliage will no doubt continue to uh, turn amazing colors. Yeah, it's lovely here. Well, great. Um, well, I know, um, you know, this is kind of you've been on the show before. And of course, we've always shared a lot of the writing that you've done on, and keeping us informed on the latest and greatest on uh, coastal resilience and a number of other topics. Uh, but you have some news to share with our listeners today. So I will not break that news. I will leave it to you to share um, the news with the folks who have heard you on this podcast and elsewhere before. So what is your news? My news is that I am retiring from EDF and going to pursue my my hobbies. Well, Shannon, you know, obviously it's a huge loss. And also we're very sad to see you go. It's so bittersweet, but also know that like, you know, it's uh, well-deserved for you to be able to pursue your passions and hobbies and, and you know, kind of have that time. So again, we will miss you tremendously. Um, and I'll talk a little bit about that in terms of kind of some of the impact you've had just in terms of communications. And that's one slice of your job. But, um, you know, certainly, you know, you leave very big slash uh, impossible shoes to fill, but we do wish you your best in your next journey. So, can you talk a little bit about, I mean, you've had such uh, an impressive career over, you know, both working for environmental organizations, working for governmental organizations. So um, for listeners who may not be aware, tell us a little bit about your career and the, the, the path that you've taken in that time. <laughs> well, you know, I've been blessed by being able to work and do be paid for work that I both love and feel is valuable to society. Um, I worked for the federal government for 27 years with the Army Corps of Engineers, the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, uh, Department of Interior, Bureau of Reclamation, and for the Assistant Secretary for Water and Science, and then Department of Defense, um, all at the intersection of water resources, risk, and environmental policy. It's been fun. Public service is great. Don't let people think it's it's bad. It's great work. Uh, it's challenging. My NGO work, likewise, is challenging and rewarding. Um, and I would recommend other people give it a try. 
Well, certainly, I mean, even if we look back over the last three years, much less the last 30, I mean, so much has changed, right? Um, Both in terms of our understanding of the science, but also from a policy perspective, Um, kind of looking back at that time, you know, whether on the NGO side or, you know, back to your time um, at the core or other agencies, um, what have been some of the biggest changes that you've seen in that time? Oh, well, you know, certainly the the growth and understanding of the importance of our environment um, in that it does provide uh, it is part of our infrastructure that holds the uh, the security and the economy of our nation and the world together. And it's increasingly recognized. It's it's not just about birds and bunnies. It's something far, far greater and very important to our quality of life. And I think that people, for the most part, really do understand that um, now in a, in a much more intimate and larger way. It's not a fringe issue. It's a critical and, issue. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, a lot of that progress momentum. I mean, you've helped contribute to that, but, um, you know, don't want to um, paint too rosy of a picture, right? Because there are challenges, right? And and um, any any career has that, but particularly doing this work, um, it can be difficult at times. So what are some of those challenges that you've experienced and how did you kind of either overcome or approach them? <laughs> you know, um, what we used to say, you know, people are the problem that I can, you know, it's, it's not the work I can't stand, it's the people. Um, (laughs) in some ways it's the people and the social issues that create the biggest challenges. Um, you know, sometimes it's as simple as people that aren't open to a new idea or people that aren't open to compromise or who would just rather say no, because it's easier than finding a solution. And I think that a challenge that we I've encountered, and I think that people will continue to encounter is really figuring out how to work those those people and those social issues to get people on board, to get people understanding, to get people excited about the issues, uh, you know, all of that. Do you see, I mean, obviously the external challenges, if you just look at kind of extreme weather and climate change and the impact it's having on more and more communities, I mean... Do you see some of those challenges bringing people together in a way that wouldn't otherwise um, maybe be working together? Yeah, boy, I sure hope so. Um, I think climate change and the various impacts that that's going to have known and unknown is the existential environmental challenge that we are facing that, and many of our other issues are all going to stem from that. And I'd like to have faith that people will come together um, and rally around it. I hope they do it quickly um, because, you know, we, we can't afford to wait. Can't wait till 2050 to start solving these problems. We have to start now. I mean, I think that's a a really good point. Um, And, you know, on that, um, I want to dig into kind of some of the work you've done more recently, kind of some of the things that are gaining steam. Um, But I want to ask before we head into break, I mean, what message would you give to that person who may be starting their career, um, thinking about the challenges that they are facing, but also the opportunities? I mean, what advice would you leave um, with uh, you know, a person going into this environmental work, um, kind well, of right out of college. Is, 
Yeah, I'd say first, good career choice. Second, I'd say get an advanced degree. Um, I, I mean, I think there's going to be lots of opportunities and we need real expertise. But my second piece of advice would be, you know, beyond developing some expertise, expertise, hone those skills um, and operate in a solution oriented framework. You know, be honest about what you know, what you don't know, be willing to learn new things, because in this field, you are constantly having to learn. You are never the expert on everything and things are changing. Um, but in largely in terms of coastal resilience, I think it's, you know, we do have to work smarter, harder, faster. And um, I think what I was saying earlier about exercising those social um, muscles will be really important. It's not, you know, being a techno expert isn't going to get you where we need to go. We need folks that can talk, that can communicate, that have empathy, that have emotional intelligence, that can build teams, that can create momentum. Yeah, I think that's great advice and certainly, you know, um, really characteristics that you've demonstrated in your career. I mean, particularly on the communication side, and it's been a pleasure to work with you on so many fronts to get these communications out about these important issues. And I think you have a real knack for that, that, um, you know, other folks could learn from. So we're about to head into a break, but we'll have more with Shannon Kniff, Director of Coastal Resilience with Environmental Defense Fund, right after the break. You're listening to Delta Dispatches. National Wildlife Federation gives voices to the wildlife conservation values that are part of our country's heritage. We are charting a new course for wildlife that our children and grandchildren will thank us for. Visit our website, nwf.org Louisiana to find out more about our work to restore and protect coastal Louisiana for generations to come. National Wildlife Federation, uniting all Americans to ensure wildlife thrive in a rapidly changing world. nwf.org Louisiana Hi, I'm Don Cheadle. Listen up. I want to talk to you about something important, the Environmental Defense Fund. EDF isn't like some of the other environmental groups. EDF works together with those on both sides of the issue. Despite all the fighting in Washington, EDF has found ways for both parties to support real progress. That has made our air and water cleaner and the products in our homes safer. So not only can our planet prosper, so can our future. Go to edf.org to see how you can help. At Audubon, we believe that where birds thrive, people prosper. Nowhere is that more evident than in Louisiana. Integrating science, education, and policy, Audubon, Louisiana's mission is to conserve and restore natural ecosystems, focusing on birds, other wildlife, and their habitats for the benefit of humanity and the Earth's biological diversity. Visit la.audubon.org to learn more and support our mission. la.audubon.org. Restore or Retreat is a coastal nonprofit organization working in the heart of the Barataria and Terrebonne Basins, from the Mississippi River to the Atchafalaya. We work every day to restore Louisiana's coast community and culture with our mission of implementing long-term and large-scale projects for our irreplaceable region. We'll hope you join us in supporting the solution. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and online at www.restoreorretreat.org.
Hello, you are listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, people, wildlife, and jobs, and why we're still it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund, um, and I am back with Shannon Kniff, Director of Coastal Resilience with Environmental Defense Fund. And before we get to Shannon, um, this week's Coastal Stat of the Week is actually dedicated to Shannon. Um, we were talking about, before the break, the importance of um, you know working to communicate, to get these messages out, and to really... Um, find a way to connect the importance of the science and the policy to your, your target audiences. And I think Shannon has really exemplified how to do that. So after eight years at EDF, um, Shannon's um, last day before retirement is September 30th, but um, she has been a longtime uh, media champion um, at EDF and, and, and more broadly. And so just a few numbers to help set that in context. 31, that's the number of blogs that Shannon has written over time for um, Growing Returns and the Voices blogs at EDF, um, 66, and the number of media hits Shannon has been mentioned in, in just the last few years, um, and 10,000. That's a rough estimate, probably um, not you know, fully representative, but the number of people who have read Shannon's blogs over the years. So um, again, just demonstrates how um, important the work of communicating these issues are and, and how effectively Shannon has done that. So Shannon, I kind of want to start off on that front. Um, you know, scientists sometimes might feel a little wary of doing a lot of external communications, whether it's media or writing, um, but we see it as an increasingly important part of that job, right? To talk about not just um, the science and their findings, but really what why it matters. So what advice would you give to someone, um, and let's just say they're a scientist, um, about why the communications part is so important? Mm. Well, you know, it's interesting. There were skills I wish I had learned in school. One was writing a one pager, you know, how to get all the facts out and, um, you know, put the decision forward to someone. The second thing would be storytelling um, because scientists, you know, are really trained not to be advocates, but to, you know, be dispassionate uh, analyzers of data. And I think that um, it is equally important to be able to tell a good story based on science and that everybody should try to practice that. And I would argue I'm not very good at it. Um, Thank God I have good editors like you. Well, you know, we can agree to disagree on that one. (laughs) You can only edit so much. And if you don't have the content and the substance and the framing and the context, uh, there's only so much you're going to do. And so you've been an excellent partner in providing all of that over the years. And, you know, we'll have that thought leadership and you'll remain active on Twitter, I hope, even in retirement. I think so. Uh, Yeah, I was going to say I have 3000 followers. I have to keep them happy. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I think a mix of, you know, obviously commentary and thought leadership, but then, hey, maybe you get some nice uh, knitting photos in there or foliage, or you make us really (laughs) jealous when you get to go to Puerto Rico every now and then. Um, (laughs) All right. I'll take that on as a challenge. Okay. Well, where can people follow you on Twitter to stay in touch with Shannon? Well, my handle is H2O, which lowercase which. Water Witch is actually, uh, you know, an instrument that people use to find water underground. Um, 
So it's a little bit of a play on words because some of my experience has been in, well, a lot of my experience has been water resources, too much and too little water. Well, I think that's the perfect handle and please be sure to follow it. And, you know, you can just make us all really jealous while we're sitting at our desks on a Tuesday at, you know, 2 p.m. thinking about, um, you know, Shannon being in Puerto Rico or somewhere else fabulous. So um, getting back to kind of your career with water and and kind of the coastal ecosystems, um, you know, you mentioned earlier in the segment, you've had like a lot of varied experience, um, both from the agency side, going into the NGO side. Um, so what have been some of those highlights of your career or moments where you you've, can look back and think like, wow, that was just a really, um, you know, incredible opportunity for me to be able to work on that or to contribute that to, you know, um, to yeah. the world? You know, I've had so many fantastic moments like that. Um, For example, I worked, uh, I represented EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency in Alaska during the Exxon Valdez cleanup. Um, And that work was, you know, interesting, exciting, involved a lot of bouncy helicopter rides, um, Prince William Sound. and, you know, making decisions on how to clean up those beaches and seeing firsthand um, the damages that oil brought to those shores in such beautiful country. Um, another highlight was, you know, working at a, a pro- I developed a new program at the Department of Defense that basically was to figure out what chemicals were going to be regulated more stringently or regulated for the first time and proactively working on getting them out of the supply chain so that when regulation eventually happened, it, you know, DOD didn't need special exemptions. Uh, And yes, that was a very exciting, you know, chemical risk um, sustainability initiative. I've stopped a few dams here and there that were poorly conceived. Um, You can't look at it and say, wow, I did that. Um, But I can look sometimes at mitigation sites that have flourished and support endangered species and exist because I created them. Um, And I didn't say anything at EDF, but like EDF is the crowning um, highlight. It has been such a fantastic place to work with, with such great colleagues and such creativity and talent and humor. So maybe the other highlight is when EDF really lets loose at the Follies talent show. Well, yes. And, um, I have had one experience of, of seeing, not participating in the Follies, but I know our colleague Liz Scray um, was a longtime uh, MC of the Follies along with, with Chandler Clay. And did you ever participate in, in the Follies, Shannon, or were you more of a, an observer? Uh, I participated in one group activity. I have submitted, I did videos uh, for a couple as well. Um, But, you know, weaving is not something that, uh, or spinning wool is not something that really translates well to the stage. Well, I have admired some of the pieces um, that you've you've created. So I agree, like, you know, the end product is beautiful, even if like, you know, maybe uh, live live knitting is not a thing, but maybe it can become a thing one day. So, um, well, I want to talk a little bit about, I mean, one of your more recent blogs, uh, which I think is a perfect kind of final blog um, to have at EDF is, you know, that natural infrastructure is gaining momentum at a time when our country needs it the most. So you you have been a leader for some time pushing for these natural solutions. Um, so can you help us understand how is natural infrastructure really starting to take off? 
Well, you mentioned climate change earlier. Um, climate change, I mean, the nation has had flood risk, flood damage challenges for a long time. Climate change is putting those in the forefront because it's, ba- it's basically putting them on steroids. And so communities are really sort of reeling uh, from these, you know, onslaught of rain events and storms. And so I think that there is, you know, a recognition that something more has to be done. And this is the missing tool, the missing part of the calculus of how we manage water. I think that, you know, one of the the ways it's getting steam, I mean, obviously, you know, putting blogs and putting communications and sharing information, bringing the science to the public and to decision makers is part of that. But it's pretty, excuse me, fulfilling that Congress is now using the term natural infrastructure and using the term resilience as well, building these concepts into um, recent bills like the Water Resources Development Act, the recent transportation bill, both talk about natural infrastructure. And I think that's important because it signals to federal agencies like it's 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 not only OK to do, but it's a desirable way to approach some problems. Well, we'll be sure to share that blog so folks can go and read and see kind of the momentum that's happening, you know, across policy, across funding, and then across awareness. And of course, you know, this year as well, there's been no shortage of uh, devastating reminders, unfortunately, of how badly we need some of these solutions. And so it's something we will continue to communicate on and and look to Shannon for her expertise on for for years ahead. So Shannon, we're about to head into a break, but if you don't mind hanging on for one more segment, I want to get into a few other topics and also give you an opportunity to maybe leave a parting message with our listeners. So you're listening to Delta Dispatches. We'll be right back after the break. Hello, you're listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund, and I'm joined today by um, a colleague, someone who, you know, we're wishing well in the next chapter of her life as she as she moves into retirement, but who has had a tremendous impact on coastal ecosystems, on resilience, on, um, you know, my organization and the Environmental Defense Fund, but also so many regions broadly and and in terms of thinking about our environment and how um, we protect it, but also um, work with the environment to, to help protect us. So, um, Shannon, you were talking before the break about um, natural infrastructure and how it's been gaining a lot of momentum really at a time when our country needs it the most. What is needed really to kind of build on this momentum and keep it going forward? Well, before I answer that, I'd be remiss not to point out that Louisiana's leadership in um, recognizing the importance of natural infrastructure to their economy and security has been instrumental in really building momentum on natural infrastructure. Um, Now I forgot what your other question was. 
Um. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Hey, I mean, our, uh, you know, our, I think it's good to give Louisiana credit when it's due. So my question was just, you know, <clears throat> more broadly, you know, even beyond Louisiana and more places, what's really needed to build on the momentum of natural infrastructure, you know, across the country? Obviously, a lot of these places um, have similar needs to kind of Louisiana in terms of what we're dealing with. Um as well right. as or particularly sea level rise and storms. Sure. Well, I think there's sort of several things. I mean, I mentioned the social aspects before. I think that we need to do more sort of on the ground work, building understanding of what natural infrastructure solutions do for a community, both in terms of their buffering capabilities, their defense capabilities, but also, you know, all the good things that that does for the community every day, not just when there's a storm or a flood. I think that we need um, additional information, more monitoring of natural infrastructure sites so that we gather Uh, sufficient information to understand how well it performs and how it copes with storms and how it recovers itself from storms. Um, That's information that's critical for engineers to um, design in natural infrastructure, including it in a way on par with other structural measures. Um, And then, uh, well, let's see. So it's I guess those are the two big things. There was a third thing, but I've already lost it. That's why I need to retire. Oh, no. Well, <laughs> we, we, if you remember, please feel free to tweet it along with this episode and, and uh, it'll <laughs> encourage people to follow you on Twitter. So, I mean, you have been with EDF, um, you know, as the director of Coastal Resilience and resilience is a word, but also a, a theme, um, a way of living, a way of being perhaps um, that um, really a lot of people... Uh, focus on. Um, of course, in, in New Orleans and Louisiana, we've talked a lot about resilience in terms of, you know, hurricanes, Katrina and Rita and the BP oil spill and our land loss crisis. So I guess I have a two part question, which is one, you know, what does resilience mean to you? And then how have you seen resilience as a concept evolve over time? And I understand it. There's a scientific definition for resilience, but just kind of helping people understand some of that. Yes. Um, Well, I guess I operate in worlds of ecology, engineering and risk. So resilience uh, to me is a recognition that change happens and that a healthy system can deal with that change and actually be healthier in the long run for it. You know, what I think is interesting is that now resilience is a term that's being used by politicians and the public and I see that as partly a recognition that we have to do better with storms and natural disasters and that we we can't fully defend against all of them, you know, any size or any type, and that we need to invest in systems that minimize the economic and, you know, the social impact of these events, and that we have to do far more with our recovery investments to ensure we're not just simply rebuilding in the same way in the same place, that we have to make, you know, proactive um, investments and make decisions with resilience in mind all the time, you know, whether it's a decision about land use or a highway or a levy, you know, what is it, you know, think about how we operate in a set of systems and how they all interact. 
Yeah, I think that's, you know, really great, um, you know, summary of a very complex <clears throat> topic, but also one that, you know, we're increasingly having to understand how we uh, live with every day. You know, it's never a state that we achieve, but it's something that is a, a way of living and, and and being and thinking about, you know, these systems. And kind of on that note, I'm curious, what um, is your hope for our coastal areas, our kind of ecosystems? I know you've worked even beyond coastal, right, into kind of some of the riverine um, riparian areas as well. So what are, what are your hopes for those areas going forward? Well, um, I would love to see lush, broad floodplains, whether they're in the coastal zone or along riparian areas where ecosystems and habitats flourish uh, and that their naturally protective features are basically taken advantage of. I mean, we've built too close to the coast. We've built on sand dunes that have caused them to disappear and erode. Um, my vision for the future is that we don't feel compelled to separate ourselves from the sea, but that we learn how to live with the sea and with our rivers in a, um, a more constructive way. And that's not to say that we don't defend ourselves in certain places. We have a lot of infrastructure that we have to defend. Um, but there are other places where, you know, we may have to um, do what's called managed retreat and um, learn better to live with water when it's there and you know cope well with it so that it's not a tremendous health crisis or an inconvenience or a danger. Yeah, I think, I mean, well, I think that's a very good hope and one that like you've helped kind of work to achieve and build a foundation um, and, you know, actual concrete outcomes that have made places, um, you know, in the, more in, the, in line with that. So um, we're almost out of time, but Shannon, I really appreciate all of uh, the time you've taken to, to chat with us today. I know, um, you know, you've been really involved with the American Shore Beach Preservation, um, you know, Association and other organizations who will hear this um, more broadly. So um, two final questions. One's a little bit more fun. Um, the first <laughs> is, what are you most looking forward to in retirement? Not doing emails. <laughs> I, I think we can all understand that um, and appreciate. And maybe, you know, in a few years, there'll be a technology that surpasses or email. I know they've tried a lot um, to improve it, but... But yes, uh, bless, bless you for not having to deal with that. And then I would just ask, like, do you have any final thoughts for our listeners or, um, you know, the, the folks who might hear this episode? You know, I would just say it's important to get engaged in your community, in your state and even in the federal system. Let people know what you want and need. Get engaged in civic activities so that you're not only informed, but you inform decision makers because a decision maker is, you know, they're politicians. They need to have your input. And I don't think the system is, is, is broken. I think we can make it work better for us though. And so I just urge everybody to, to not be apathetic and to join in and be passionate, but be passionate in a way that respects others and where you can learn and grow and find solutions. 
Well, I think that that is a great closing thought. And I will just say, Shannon, it's been a pleasure working with you. I know my time at EDF has been, um, you know, short and but we were able to work on some projects together even before then. But um, I've learned so much from you and, you know, look forward to following your journey on Twitter. And I'm wishing you um, a lot of happy moments and beautiful ecosystems and environments around the world um, in the future. You're choking me up. I'm going to miss you guys so much. Oh, Shannon. Well, thank you again so much. And look, we're going to stay in touch and we will follow your um, your journey from here on out. But um, thank you to Shannon Kniff for everything. Um, and we'll be right back after the break. You're listening to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 998 AM. Hello, you are listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund. Um, I was so excited to have that conversation with my colleague, Shannon Kniff, and like so many, wish her best luck in her retirement. Um, I'm excited, you know, to also bring on someone who's new to the uh, Restore the Mississippi River Delta fold in the coastal world, although no stranger to New Orleans and uh, media. Um, I'll let you know who that is in a second, but first it's time for the Coastal Voice of the Week. So this week's um, voice is from Corey in Jefferson, and Corey says, a healthy coast helps make healthy communities. Without our wetlands, we all lose the seafood culture and protection from hurricanes and storms. Save the coast, save Louisiana. Thank you, Corey. And a reminder, you can go online at any point and share your coastal voice um, at restorethecoast.org. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome to Delta Dispatches for the first time, but hopefully first of many, uh, James Karst, Communication Director with the Coalition Restore Coast Louisiana. Thank you for having me. So, James, uh, you've been with CRCL for about three months now, working closely with all of our groups, um, you know, to kind of tell the stories of what's happening across Louisiana's coast and kind of really how do we restore and protect it. Um, but you have a very interesting background. So tell us a little bit about what, what you were doing before CRCL. Yeah, uh, I came to this through journalism. Um, I worked for many years at the Times-Picayune, uh, starting in the year 2000, and then I left uh, last year. Um, and continued to work as a uh, freelance writer. Uh, I've written a lot about <clears throat> Louis Armstrong and uh, early jazz history. Uh, I also uh, moonlight as an actor uh, on occasion. You can see me on uh, NCIS New Orleans and uh, occasionally on television commercials. Um, yeah. And uh, it's been great to be here. Of course, I dealt with a lot of stories about coastal issues when I was a journalist and edited uh, a number of stories on that. So I uh, had a familiarity with these issues and an interest in them. And so it's great to uh, great to finally be here. Well, we're very lucky uh, to have you. And, you know, I, I'll also say, you know, if you haven't read James's story, um, in 64 parishes recently in the last issue, I think. Uh, yeah, the summer issue, I think okay. it was. Yeah, maybe uh, it was the spring issue. It was a recent issue. Yeah, definitely go check it out. It's so well written and so interesting. So many things I, I had never known. So, um, and also you sometimes have been known to uh, make a cocktail or two with some well-known faces around New Orleans. Is that right? Yeah, I uh, was a guest bartender at uh, Molly's at the Market uh, a few weeks ago um, at an event that benefited the Press Club of New Orleans uh, with uh, Walter Isaacson and Kevin Litton. 
Um, and uh, I should mention that I also occasionally compete as a professional competitive eater. Uh, I've done the World Oyster Eating Championships uh, a few years, uh, kind of middle of the pack eater. Uh, and I used to do the uh, crawfish eating contest when they had that here in New Orleans also. So it just is so funny because some people, when they have that question about like, what's one fun fact about you? You know, they might struggle <laughs> a little bit. You, you probably struggle to decide, like, what am I going to say here? Yeah, it's a challenge sometimes to pick which one. Yes. <laughs> um, cool. Well, you have been, uh, you know, hitting the pavement or should I say uh, the airboat or the small plane um, since you've joined and traveling all over the coast. What have been some of your you kind of most fun uh, or interesting experiences so far? Yeah, I, I've really enjoyed um, getting out into the marshes uh, with our volunteers and uh, planting marsh grasses in places like Bayou Bonfuca in uh, Big Branch Marsh National Wildlife Refuge. Uh, that, that has been great. Um, and I know we have a couple of more events planned uh, for there in October. Um, I also enjoyed going down to Poinashen uh, for an oyster reef building event. Uh, you know, it's beautiful. It was great meeting with the uh, Indian tribe whose uh, whose grounds we were protecting, um, and just a fun, uh, you know, manual labor doing good things to save the coast and meeting volunteers. Uh, yeah, it's been great. So you're competitively eating the oysters and then the shells are being recycled That's to right. build uh, reefs to protect areas. That's awesome. And you mentioned the volunteer events. I mean, hopefully I know it's fall, but it doesn't feel like it, but hopefully by October it'll start to cool down. So um, where can people go if they want to learn about volunteer opportunities with CRCL and kind of get out and help, uh, you know, restore the coast themselves. Yeah, you can find those um, through our website, crcl.org. Um, we also have an Eventbrite page, which is where you would sign up to volunteer for these events. And then um, they're frequently promoted on, on our social media. So especially our Twitter or our Facebook, you can look there. Um, but we always need volunteers. Uh, we welcome group volunteers. And a lot of these events are a lot of fun. Well, I should say they're all a lot of fun, but you know, it's great to be on an airboat ride, um, kind of twisting through the bayous and um yeah they're, they're, it's important work and good work and fun work yeah and great for teams i had an opportunity a few years back to go out with my rugby team when i played rugby and it was um a wonderful team bonding experience and mm -hmm. i think you know they still want to go back often so um highly recommend it for that those sorts of groups as well um James, there was a really exciting announcement, I think, in the season opener for the Saints regular season um, about a partnership uh, between the Saints and the and CRCL. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So it's a program through Shell, actually, um, whereby they're going to donate twenty five dollars um, to CRCL for every rushing yard gained by the Saints. So, um, you know, obviously not great that Drew Brees is down with an injury, but well, let, let's run the ball and, and raise some money to <laughs> save the coast. May not be passing right? as much as they would <laughs> otherwise. Yeah, well, I just want us to win, you know, yeah. but if we can help, help uh, preserve the coast at the same time, I think that's great. That's awesome. And I mean, just in terms of the visibility as well, you know, I know the Saints shared it on their social media. Um, and, you know, hopefully it's the sort of thing that, people are seeing while they're watching the games and can kind of help, um, you know, share the message as well about what's going on. Yeah. These are people, you know, who love New Orleans and love Louisiana. And um, we feel like they'll be on board with uh, trying to save our coast as well. So, yeah, it's great. 
Very cool. Well, I hope uh, for CRCL, but also for our Saints for many, many more uh, passing and well, rushing yards. But hey, if they want to pass to on occasion, that's that's good as long as they're winning. Um, so big year next year for um, CRCL. It's uh, 2020, but it's also the state of the coast. Um, so I know that you all are hard at work um, on that really important conference. Tell us a little bit about state of the coast and what might be in store next year. Yeah, so it's a biennial conference. Um, it will be May 26th through 28th at the uh, Morial Convention Center in downtown New Orleans. Um, we have some great, exciting speakers lined up for it. Um, it, you know, it should be a lot of fun. We're expecting about 1,300 people to attend. Um, there will be a number of presentations. Uh, as I mentioned, great speakers. Uh, it's always fun to come to New Orleans, so we welcome people to join us here. And, yeah, we're really looking forward to it. Yeah, and if you're listening and um, looking to, you know, sponsor, th- those opportunities exist as well. Yes, uh, absolutely. Uh, you can do that through our website uh, or our conference website, stateofthecoast.org. Um, but, yes, we, we would love to have more sponsors and uh, people uh, visiting the conference. Uh, yeah, it'll be great. Well, I always love State of the Coast. I've been to a few now. And, um, you know, in addition to how it's grown as a conference and kind of also, um, you know, the variety of topics and kind of um, the different areas of the coast that are covered, um, I'm always amazed how increasingly there are more people coming from outside of Louisiana to the conference and people from other coastal areas who are trying to learn about what we're doing here, but also share what they've been doing in their areas as well. So just a great opportunity to bring a lot of those minds together. It's also, uh, I think, the 15th anniversary of Katrina next year. And the is it the 10th anniversary mm-hmm. of the Deepwater Horizon um, disaster? And so those will be focal points, I think, at the conference. Uh, so I think it should be interesting. Yeah. Great. Well, um, I think... You know, we'll have to definitely have you back on next year, you know, as some of those, um, you know, events get closer. But also, you're always welcome anytime. I know CRCL is constantly doing amazing work in the community, whether it's on the volunteer side or just kind of events that are um, educating people and kind of engaging them. Um, I also know you're a very prolific, prolific uh, Twitterer um, and very plugged into the New Orleans uh, Twitter scene. So where can people follow you uh, personally for both your stories, stories about the coast, you know, your commentary. I've enjoyed it. So. <laughs> well, they can follow me at um, at James Karst, J-A-M-E-S-K-A-R-S-T. Um, and then, of course, follow CRCL at CRCL 1988 uh, on Twitter and look for us on Facebook as well. Instagram might get on TikTok one day. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll have to look into that. But, <laughs> but thanks so much, James, for being on and welcome uh, to the MRD group. And thanks to everyone for a great show. Shannon, James, and we'll be back next week on Delta Dispatch.